Hey Rockville, it's Susan Pittman, co-host of a podcast about everybody's favorite hometown, Rockville, Maryland. When Jamie Espinoza, Andrea Nunez, and I started working on this project, we had a plan to slow roll the launch through the spring. With the city charter review complete and on the mayor and council agenda for Monday, January 30th, and then again in February, the legalization of recreational marijuana coming July 1, and a city election in November, we said to hell with it and launched. Bear with us, we'll all be learning together. Jamie and Andrea are millennial attorneys who work for different government entities and are raising young kids. I'm an overworked Gen X with a recently empty nest, recovering from a career in the Texas public school system and doing the nonprofit thing. Andrea and I are on the City of Rockville Planning Commission, so we'll be steering clear of topics that might come before the PC, and Jamie currently serves on the Community Policing Advisory Board and formerly served on the Ethics Commission. We share a love for Rockville, a place that welcomed us when we moved from other places, is a great place to raise our kids, and continues to be a place where people want to be. We are not journalists, but we're not afraid of debate, civil disagreement, and asking questions. All three of us were involved in the 2019 City Council election and met some great people who we know will make fantastic guests. Today, on our very first episode, we are speaking with Marissa Valeri, the prom queen of city activism. She is the acting chair of the Rockville Pedestrian Advisory Committee, is past president and current at-large board member of the Twinbrook Community Association, and was most recently a member of the City of Rockville Charter Review Commission. There are a few issues on which, there, I'm sorry, there are few, there are few issues on which she is not very well versed and her commitment to the city and to doing what is right is well known. Marissa, welcome. You're the only prom queen I've ever been friends with. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. So Marissa, what's your story? How and why did you want to be part of the Charter Review Commission? My story is pretty straightforward. I wanted, this is going to sound kind of cheesy, but it's true. I wanted to make a difference and I knew that the charter is essentially, it is our city's constitution. So I knew that if there was going to be any sort of large scale, um, important policy making uh, 500 feet up, 100 miles up, um, I would need to be part of this commission. So when I saw the openings on the wonderful city of Rockville boards and commissions webpage, um, I, I had to apply, so I did. So what's your, what's your background? What, what, what made you uh, feel so committed to the city? My background is in, in being a professional agitator now. Um, I probably put that on my, my resume though. Um, my background is having been born and raised and lived in Montgomery County for 99% of my life. Um, <clears throat> I've seen inequity in action from day one. Um, I grew up in Wheaton, Maryland, and it growing up there, you see a, a very stark difference in the way that your high school amenities vary from other ones down in Chevy Chase and Bethesda. And so knowing ahead of time that, you know, uh, there, for whatever reason, um, certain areas of the county are treated differently, I knew I wanted to change that. And I also had a father, uh, rest in peace, that um, empowered me to do or be whatever I wanted to be. He swore I'd become the next president, and I still kind of laugh at that because I don't, 
actually want to be president. <laughs> and I love municipal politics because it's actually, you can see things change in a way that you'll never see on the federal level. Yeah, that's for sure. That is for sure. So tell us just a little bit about uh, the city charter. You said it is the constitution for a city. Any other, th anything else we should know? Any other basics about the charter we should know before we really dive into this? Um, I think the most important fact that I found along the way is that it's still a very dated document and that when it was drafted, um, it pretty much picked up the mindset of municipal policy in that time period. Um, there's a lot of issues with uh, vocabulary that's being used that really needs to be updated. Um, certain concepts such as having to post public hearings in the newspaper of record and not generally um, the media channel of record. So there were things that were pretty much archaic that needed to be updated. And then of course, it just is not, it should be a living document in much the way that um, our, our nation's constitution should be a living document um, to encapsulate uh, future issues. So I think that's the, you know, and that's the draw for me was that, you know, here's a, a document that really has not been intentionally updated to reflect a city of now, you know, almost 70,000 people. All right, great, thank you. Jamie, did you have a question? So the Charter Review Commission was put together and given a mandate by the city and council. Do you have any background as to what the mayor and council were seeking from the Charter Review Commission? I believe that they were seeking an overall update. Um, I think that they saw that along the way, um, and again, this is just from my perspective, along the way, various things um, have popped up that then you know can be traced back to things that need to be changed within the charter, such as where public hearings are posted and um, some of the functionality, administrative functionality of the Board of Supervisors of Elections in a uh, post vote by mail world. Um, and so they actually met, um, I, watched that, I watched that hearing, I watched that meeting, like I do every Monday night uh, online, and they just kind of did a whole, um, you know, brainstorm basically of, what are things we need to look at? What are things that need to change? And so they came up with this pretty long list. Um, we really only got to half of the list, and we were very honest from the beginning that, you know, this Charter Review Commission would still be going on if we really had to um, do the, you know, address and research the entire mandate that we were given. So while well, I think listeners of this podcast will be generally aware how city commissions work, can you give us um, like a very high level overview of how a commission composed of like citizens of the city and the city staff got together to take on such a major project and do its work? So yeah, um, so after you get your little notice saying you made the commission, um, <clears throat> the chair is chosen by the mayor. And the chair then, in concert with the staff, convened the first meeting. Um, it was a very interesting process. We realized very early on that in order to complete the work, there was going to need to be uh, subgroups for each of the three major areas. And that consisted of a subgroup that looked at all the issues directly relating to the mayor and council, a subgroup um, 
of all the issues related to the Board of Supervisors of Elections, and that was a lot of administrative um, and technical things that um, needed to be done, but were not as research intensive, I think. It was a lot of getting feedback from the current Board um, of Supervisors of Elections, and then also other jurisdictions. And then the final subgroup, which I thought was also absolutely fascinating, was um, looking at you know, the fact that 70% of the city is not voting. And what can we do to increase that? And so really looking at expanding the voter franchise and also uh, increasing engagement and trying to get more people um, involved in the voting process. So while I think all of us here will probably have different ideas of what recommendations the, that the commission made were the most important or potentially most impactful. There are two that were headline grabbing, and I, I think we'd like to address those right off the bat. The, the big two were voter enfranchisement for citizens under 18, and then voter enfranchisement for uh, non-US citizens to vote. Um, the commission obviously made a lot of pros and cons for one of them, but and kind of getting this one out of the way for the under 18, the commission actually didn't set it down no cons. Um, and a question that I have that came up in conversation with folks is not really an objection, right? More of like a concern is anybody who's raised teenagers or has been a teenager knows we don't tend to do what our parents want us to do. However, when it comes to voting, a concern would be that teens just do what their parents want or just vote in line because they don't know it's their first election. And so would a con of that potentially be that you're just going to maximize the vote of incumbents or of the people already who have the parents? You, you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. did, the, did the commission potentially think of stuff like that? or? It was a, that was actually an interesting issue. Um, we were very much in agreement on allowing residents 16 years and older to vote in municipal elections because studies have shown that the earlier that um, you're able to vote, even you know in just municipal election, which is what we're talking about, you become a lifelong voter um, much more easily than in other ways. To me, um, this is my perspective on it. I will, not to sound overly dramatic, but you know, I'm Italian American, it's gonna happen. Um, I will defend to the death your ability to vote for whomever and whyever. It's the access to, to the act of voting that's most important to me. Um, and so, you know, whatever process people use to determine who they're gonna vote for. Um, can be applied to 16, 17, 40 year olds, 80 year olds. Um, and so at the end of the day, people are going to vote for who they're going to vote for for whatever reason. And that's actually the, the right of, of voting. Um, and so, you know, some of these arguments about, well, they're not going to be educated enough or they're not really doing, you know, X, Y, and Z, you know, that could be applied regardless of age. Yeah. And so, to me, I, I think that's where a lot of us came down on that, you know, again, we'll defend anyone's right to vote for whatever reason. Um, and also, I think sometimes there's a presumption as well. Um, I was a teenager. I was a pretty rambunctious teenager, to put it kindly. 
and I would have voted the exact opposite of my parents in some ways. I yeah, think. I was going to say, who's got kids that do whatever <laughs> yeah. <they> do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anecdotally, I know plenty of younger people who disagree with their parents. But yeah. but I, I acknowledge, I think, historically, overwhelmingly, your parent is the big... I remember learning this in history class at Montgomery mm-hmm. County Public School. Uh, you're, you know, the parent is still... The, the family parents are the biggest influence on that first-time voter. Totally. But, you know, on the flip side, like, my dad was my political hero, but I also know that he voted twice for a presidential candidate who then went on to win that I would have never voted for. And, you know, I, I could disagree with him. Um, but we also had a space of, like, debate and discussion that he encouraged that in me and really encouraged that. But, you know, studies have shown um, things like women overwhelmingly vote for judges who we don't get a lot of information based on. Based on which judge to vote for. Exactly. We, we get so little information on the judges that we're asked to, to vote for um, that if you don't know anybody, you'll vote for female-sounding names because you want to encourage them. Um, and also, you know, something that we looked on at later in the report was how to um, protect the right to vote, especially when you're voting by mail, for people um, in uh, uh, abusive, domestic abusive relationships. And so how do... How do we mitigate that? Because if you want to talk about influence, that's definitely a big one. Um, I have a, if you can, this is a mega report for anyone who, who's like, let me go read this thing. It's going to take you a while. Uh, but I don't claim to, I'm sure it's in there. But talk about the numbers a little. Just if this, six, and so it's 1618. We're not, you know, it wouldn't be four-year-olds marching up to the ballot, right? It's 1618. And do we have a sense, was there any, preliminary projection of if that were to go through for Rockville, how many new voters does that empower? Is it, I mean, I know like last election, something like 15,000 people voted mm-hmm. over 18, right? Yeah. 18 to 100 year olds, right? Voted. Uh, so if 16 to 18s are added, if that's what the city chooses to do, give a sense of how many that is, how many sophomores, juniors, seniors in high school are there? You know, and it's a, it's a tough number too, because you do have in our city high schools, you have a lot of students that don't reside in Rockville that are coming in yeah. for different programs. So, you know, I think and that's a really good question. I don't even know the estimate off the top of my head. Um, and I don't know if you even really talked about it. I think we looked at just overall, um, our goal for overall um, voting population, and that would also then include um, younger people so 16 and older that would be able to vote i would think if you're looking at 16 to 8 16 and 17 year olds mm-hmm. you're talking about sophomores juniors and a few sophomores all the juniors and some seniors who aren't 18 yet and rockville high school most of the kids don't live within the city limits so you're talking about a couple of hundred kids maybe at rockville high school yeah. you're talking about maybe 500 or so kids at uh, RM and some in Wooten. Some in Wooten, but not as many. So yeah. we're, we're talking and that's about. That's if you get 100% turnout. Right. right. So we're sure. talking about maybe, maybe right. a thousand a 16 hundred. and 17 year olds yeah. if every single one of them voted. Exactly. So and it's not yeah, talking about had, a lot of people. But if you had, let's say, a thousand. This goes through a thousand sixteen and seven. Very good turnout among the high right. school voters. You got out the vote, the mail mail in vote to them with fifteen. That could be potentially significant. It could be if we wasn't it around fifteen thousand total vote mail like with the mail in last mm-hmm. time we went city shot up with turn you know votes cast which is great. 
But let's say if you added a thousand more, it's almost like a well, I mean, eight percent or seventy percent boosted totally votes. Like, that's I mean, it's not well. Isn't it something like two hundred votes would have made a difference in the last yeah, election? Two fifty, yeah. something like that. Certainly, all, many of the council races were quite close, as we know. So. I love that idea, though. I love the so, idea that we would have that many voters. I don't think that that necessarily will be the way, not only for what y'all mentioned, but when the city of uh, Tacoma Park right. instituted it, it was very slow rise in um, six, eligible 16 and 17 year olds. So, you know, I, yeah. I I would be excited by that many people like joining the voter roll and taking action. And, you know, there's a lot of barriers along the way and there might be some challenges, but, you know, I think that's, I think that would be absolutely great because then anyone who's elected can look at that back. Yeah, and, for them. Exactly. Could they be a candidate at that age? 16, 17? Could they now want to run for mayor? Could they run a campaign? Or do you have to be 18 to be a candidate? You have to be 18 to be a candidate. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I'd like to ask, though, about the most layman controversial recommendation. I I don't think anybody here thinks it's going to be too... too, No, no. Layman, like folks who are watching the news (laughs) may consider this the most controversial one. Though I don't know that anybody here thinks it's going to be the most impactful one, which I really want to spend a lot of the time talking about is the most impactful one. But the non-U.S. citizen voting recommendation is one that I think is going to capture headlines and has already on local news. Um, a question that I have, so this is just coming from me, is in reviewing the report, it was unclear to me if the commission gathered data on the practical aspect of whether or not this is an issue. There is like a group that is pining to vote who can't versus the, I don't want to call it academic, but you know, there's a rights issue there that we can discuss and is important. I'm, I kind of want to focus more on the practical stuff. Did Was there data gathering that, uh, on that? Well, that's a great question. Um, the, the challenge with data gathering in a community um, of individuals who are undocumented um, it is a challenge to even be able to count individuals who are undocumented for the census, let alone then connect with the community and, and say, are, do you feel like you're missing out on voting? Um, and, you know, these are challenges that the city is facing anyways, and the, the city needs to come up with a, a, a better outreach plan to really engage all corners of the community. Um, personally, I came at it, you know, and I totally get the administrative, the very practical end of things, and a lot of those issues were answered by, um, the, again, uh, City of Tacoma Park, man, maybe I should get like, like some sort of like, you know, uh, pay from them on like how much I'm going to promote them, but <laughs> <laughs> they they looked at this and they have done the legwork on both the administrative right. costs of it and you know practically basically creating a separate role because those individuals will not be eligible to vote in the county or on the state or in state elections or federally. But the way that the city gets their voter role is from the state, and so in order to implement this. Um, specifically for individuals who are not yet citizens, we would need to create a separate role. But again, the blueprint, the templates there in, in places like the Congo Park. Um, you know, it, for me, uh, living in Twinbrook 
and living in, in um, a community with a good number of individuals that are undocumented. Um, I felt, you know, just going away from the practical, I just felt a, a very strong um, moral calling to uh, putting this in the recommendations and then really, you know, striving to find the research to see if this was something um, practical for the city of Rockville. And it is, you know, again, if Tacoma Park can do it, we can do it. Um, and I think it's the right thing to do because the state gives us that um, ability to make that change in the definition of an eligible voter. So can we move on to some of the, uh, what are some of the other big heavy hitting recommendations? What are we gonna see more council members, district changes, help give us a, just a, a quick breakdown of, of those kind of recommendations. Yeah, there because there's a lot in our just the recommendations part of our report, um, and you know we didn't even get to all the things that mm, kind of like uh, spun off from the core issues because you couldn't really look at uh, at certain policies without looking at all policies that would then feed into it, right? Um, the main issues that I think would make the biggest impact in the city are um, representative districts creating. Um, fairly creating a combination of at-large representative districts. Ultimately, how this is going to be implemented needs to draw from experts. You know, I am not an expert. I'm just like a temporary research guy in many ways, plus knowing what I think is the best thing to do. Um, I think representative districts is absolutely critical, and that goes hand in hand with the expansion of the council. So if we're gonna look at creating districts along the way, and there's no way that this is gonna happen, districts is gonna happen before the next election. But in order to even get there, we need to expand the size of the council and the immediate reaction when we um, presented our report to mayor and council was very positive across the board. Um, the mayor and the council members seemed very positive about that. And so that is the first public hearing. Um, no, no, this Monday. And so it was. it's really hard to extricate that issue from representative districts, right? Um, because ultimately the commission saw and we reminded each other of the fact that we currently do not have any geographic diversity um, on the mayor council right now. There is not one member um, of our elected uh, officials who lives east of 355. And that's a problem. So uh, many of us don't quite know what uh, representative districts are, right? Like we have five, what do we have? Five, there's names on a ballot. You can live anywhere in Rockville, right? Yep. So how, if this change were to be implemented, right, how would it look, you think? Like is there an East Rockville kind of, there's lines, right? Mm -hmm. An East Rockville kind of seat created, a wet, you know, that, is that what it would come, come out as? Exactly. Generally what you do when you create districts is you look for uh, proportionality. And you look at proportionality based on population. So you can't have, you know, <laughs> like if there's a huge population center, that may be in and of itself enough to create a district. This is the element of representative districts that we did not get into because we could have done another two years on exactly how to create these districts in a fair way. Um, the one thing that we did talk about um, and what I think is most important is that it needs to be an independent commission. It, 
if when representative districts becomes a reality in city, we're going to have to bring in an entity, a, a group of people that is completely independent of the mayor, the council, anyone, um, in order to do this sort of work. And those kind of commissions have been created. Um, those are the similar to redistricting commissions, you know. Yeah, the county just did that. It was massive effort. Exactly. So this is not like, it's just, it's not rocket science. It can happen. Um, there just needs to be a will to do it. And um, I think ultimately that's the best thing for the city because there's just many corners and not just, you know, east side of 355. You have a very vibrant 355 corridor with a lot of um, different communities along there as well um, that aren't represented either. So um, that's the challenge and that should not be happening um, in a city this large. Thanks. Yeah, of course. But you know, this then bleeds into the issue of public financing <laughs> elections, which we didn't really get into. But when we talked about representative districts and when we talked about geographic diversity, we had to talk about public financing too because ultimately we were looking at the issue of why are all of the current elected officials from this part of the city, right? And so then I delved too deep into census data. But anyway, yeah, it if we cost money to run an election, right? Exactly. And so what's the best way to approach that? What's the best way to even the playing field as best as we can? And that's by implementing, again, similar to what the county did, implementing um, public financing and matching to allow people to amplify yeah. the amount of know, A lot of these things cost money in a, a budget. Budgets yeah. are value, moral documents. So, like, yeah, I think I, I see a lot of those implications. It's not, you know, like, we add more council members, let's say. There's, there's a couple salaries. There's public financing. That's a pot of money that needs to be found somewhere and staff to work it, yeah, some, some administrative costs, right? So you gotta find money for, you know, th these things can't be implemented for free. Maybe, maybe you know, you know shoestring with existing staff, but it sounds to me, did, did you guys talk about some of that? Like companion budget, you know, recommendations yeah, yeah. that could come with these? You know, we did, we touched on it and it was something and I encourage anybody to, <laughs> maybe within reason, go back to the try to review um, section, agenda section, where you can watch our old meetings. Um, it's kind of like a best of everybody. But <laughs> you'll see, like, something I consistently said was, it's not incumbent upon us to determine how and where the money is going to come from. Right. We're here as, like, the visioning body of, like, this is, this is where our moral center is. And I really appreciate that language because that's really where I come from too. Then this needs to happen, and things need to be adjusted. Um, and we are not a city um, struggling to make ends meet. And I think you know, there's always hard decisions every budget year. Um, but if we are really um, sincere about the issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion, I don't. I don't see how we could not make this investment to have the elected officials, rep, you know, replicate the diversity that we see in the community. Well, I wanted to ask. So we, we talked about some of the headline grabbing um, recommendations, and some of the, and then you talked about some of the recommendations we here consider to be probably the most impactful. Are there any recommendations we didn't touch upon that, like you think, are 
potentially the most impactful, like more of an inside baseball type question, one that we may have glossed over that. I like baseball. May, too. May, <laughs> may, may change, you know, the character of the city and how things are done. Yeah, Jamie, try to make that a pickleball metaphor yeah. next time. <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh, are we going there? Pickleball? I what? was not told that we would be addressing pickleball. I'm this now. Every episode, every one. We'll have a pickleball reference. I'm, I'm happy to come back if you really want to have like a sincere debate about pickleball versus futsal in existing city courts. Have you been to Berlin? Really? They can do both. They can do both. Why? Broom, you can't do both. Broom Park just applied. Broom Park just opened. October for new pickleball courts that are underused, and they're right next to a futsal court. They have them both. You the would, have, would you like to know who encouraged the futsal lights? I do. I know. Who did? <laughs> kind of had a there was a community association that really saw how these like unused courts were, you know, impromptu futsal. Like it's awesome, um, and was a little discouraged to see the only futsal court was by the Swim Center. So this really industrious community association. saying unused tennis courts? Yeah, yeah, and um, exactly. Or just we have remarked, I guess. Exactly, underutilized parks. Um, we have, there's like an unused court. They say it has skate park outside of it in Dwinbrook, but um, it's literally just concrete around by like fencing. Anyway. So once again, pickleball has co-opted the conversation. Right. Thanks, Jamie. So the courts you're talking about are the one behind the ballet center? <laughs> yes. And it keeps yeah. going. And it keeps, and it keeps no, going. No, but there's um, yeah. King Farm by my house and uh, Dogwood Park. We're seeing pickleball. It's just extra lines on the tennis. I oh, think yeah. what I'm... So it's not exactly... I'm not the, the right map, right? You bring in that. Wow, how cheap is that, man? Right? Yeah. And the, all right. Futsal, all you need is a ball. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. It's very portable. Back to the charter review. <laughs> Back to the charter review. Um, you know, there was a lot of good stuff in our report. Um, and I, it was really hard for me, um, like, walking here. Because I walked here. Because I like walking. Um, plus, I'm on the pedestrian advisory committee. So, I feel like I have to walk everywhere. Um, I was, like, thinking about it. And I think, <clears throat> excuse me, one issue that a lot of people are glossing over is moving the city, the municipal elections to coincide with either a presidential election or a state election, a gubernatorial election. And, you know, um, that was surprisingly tough. That was a surprisingly tough and engaging discussion among commissioners. Um, but yet another good example of, you know, the administrative burden to move it and, you know, the costs associated yeah. with that. and. Again, you know, just returning to, it was not our job to look at the last budget going into an election year and determine, okay, well, let's cut back here and then you can put more money. That wasn't our goal. Our goal was, you know, and our mandate was to how to get more people voting and so many studies on how effective that was. And that was surprisingly so that contentious. Studies <laughs> overwhelmingly show we, at the city, of Rockville and probably others put their elections in the same presidential year, we would get we would better our turnout would only go up. It yep. won't go down, right? It would only it would only go up. There are some implementation yeah. issues, but you know, again, that was not you know our ultimately our mandate. Our mandate was to should we do this, right? Exactly. Is this a, I'm, I'm happy you raised that one because I think that one was super important because I agree. I mean, I think it's just obvious that it would increase voter turnout. I also think it's obvious that it would make our municipal elections 
national elections, essentially, meaning people will now be basing their vote, not necessarily on where we're going to put a new park, but on whether or not someone's a Democrat or a Republican, or if they support some still, would they change? Would they no longer be nonpartisan? Right? They'd be partisan, but inherently. It's the psychology of it. The mm-hmm. psychology. Is that something, and I, I, th- I think it's so obvious that I'm willing to assume that you guys discuss it at some level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can, can you speak to that, like the debate there? Because, you know, there's pros and cons, and obviously you guys need to make your recommendation based when pros outweigh cons. Yeah. Um, but anything you can speak to how the review commission views that issue? Yeah, you know, that's interesting. I'm like sitting here. Um, that did not come up so much as what the ballots would look like um, and the practicality of ballot creation. And then you would have, you know, um, let's say if we decided to move it to the same year as gubernatorial elections, then would the ballot become way too long because you would have the, the state elections and the county and the city and then all the relevant you know, um, ballot measures and refer- referendum rather. Um, again, in implementation, we talked about it and there was definitely a camp of people that I can say I can associate myself with that said, it's something we can figure out. Um, and other jurisdictions in other areas and other states have found a way to figure this out. Um, and it has not affected voter turnout. And we talked a lot actually about Oregon um, because it is an all-male state, uh, all-male, that sounds really wrong, <laughs> from a gender place, no, 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 it's an all-vote-by-male state. Um, we really looked at their experiences and, you know, the, the practicality of that, um, and they've been doing it for a very long time. I can't remember how many years off the top of my head, but, um, again, from my perspective, it, if, again, the end goal is this then you can make it happen and you can make it happen in a way that um, does not create more barriers. The barriers right now are that, you know, our elections are at a time where the vast majority of people, unless you're like a bunch of policy nerds like we are, um, you don't know when they're happening. You know how many people I talk to, like walking around the neighborhood or talk, like I talk to everybody, like when I go to stores and coffee shops and stuff, nobody knows there's an election this year, like nobody. It's they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah. You know, so it'll get a little crazy. You'll see some signs. And they're like, oh, thanks for the heads up. And there's just a disconnect. Um, and people don't really know until, again, the signs start popping up. And then they're like, oh, okay. Is that for us? Do I vote in those? It's, there's Am I registered? Yeah, right. <laughs> Am I registered? Can I just shut, yeah, all the exactly. kind of voting questions. And, oh, that's right. We vote by mail. How does that work? Can I still go? I like to go in person. Mm-hmm. So Oregon just all male can't yep. can't show up. But Mm-mm. ooh, that's really mm-hmm. interesting. They have um, vote centers, um, I believe, uh, for people that may have issues or not like receive their ballot. Right. They have need uh, assistance, something like that. Exactly. Consolidated voting centers. Yeah. 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 Exactly. That's right. Yeah. So that was actually, and then there's one other. This seems really small, but I think it's really important. And that is having the city, and this is actually not even like necessarily, no, it is a charter change, but it should be an administrative change. Having the city um, purchase another ballot drop box and have it not just be at City Hall. Um, that was, I think, a really important one too. Um, from a public transit perspective, um, at least from you know the south side of the city, you need to take two buses um, to get over to City Hall. 
And yeah, I just, it's not an accessible location. And I think we put in our recommendations, if I recall correctly, that the ultimate goal is over the course of like the next 10 years, um, maybe less, is that every community center would have a ballot drop box. Because that just makes sense um, in the long run. And, you know, again. Are they that expensive? Why don't we have more than one yet? I, I think that's a great question. The, the expense was consistently brought up as the biggest barrier to doing it. And, you know, again, that was not our mandate. Our mandate yeah, was yeah. how do you Are make you it good? work? Yeah. You know, and it's the visual representation of voting as well, right? If you walk by, I don't know how many times people like walk by City Hall, but every time I see it, I'm like, this is really cool. We got vote by mail. This is pretty awesome. It's just a visual constant reminder of like, this is the way our, our city rolls and like having that be a presence like 365 days like i think that would be another way to encourage it so so if you're willing to speak to this which of the recommendations do you think this mayor and council will adopt that's gonna be tough that is gonna be tough i feel very positive from the initial feedback that the expansion of the number of, of uh, council members will pass and will be implemented and looks like they're trying to implement it in time for um, the next election. But, you know, that's a fingers crossed. Anything can happen. I am not Nostradamus. Um, I kind of wish I was sometimes, but <laughs> I could play like, you know, Powerball and like make some money. But, um, I think that's the only, right now, that's the only one that I feel the most positively about. There's definitely my wish list, but um, with the current um, mayor and council, that seems to be the most positive one going forward. Is there a, a loose timeline of when we think they might act on this? I mean, the elections you said are coming later in 2023, right? Yeah. What's like the latest they could actor you know take action either way on this report and can they what are the options they have if you think so the options that they have is um holding a public hearing and then um voting on the implementation of it they can either directly vote on it or they can vote to put it on the ballot um as a uh, referendum item and always important to remember that the city has non-binding referendum so while it may be a good snap poll on a given issue um, for me and for others on the commission um, we're hopeful I'm hopeful that it's not put on as a referendum because you're essentially then asking people who already vote a lot to to look at like voting even change it yeah and so you're not even really engaging the people that are not voting you know it's 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 kind of in my estimation it's kind of a silly process it would be more helpful to just convene groups of, of individuals who are not yet registered or, you know, have not voted in the last election, you know, just trying to get a sense like, hey, were there barriers? Did you just not feel compelled? Did the candidates not draw you out? Um, and it's just if you keep asking the same choir over and over, <laughs> they're going to keep singing the same song and nothing's going to really change. All right, that's helpful. I think you laid out two ways. The mayor, the mayor and council could act. They could pass a bill or you know some form of the ordinance. Yeah, yeah to enact any of the recommendations. 
Correct. And they have until, I think the latest is the end of February, February 27th, um, to decide what would be a referendum on the ballot um, okay. versus what they could. They want to go, that, exactly. that's pretty soon. It varies. <laughs> it be like yeah, and referendums, like, I mean, my experience with them on county or other ballots that we vote, right, sometimes, some of these can be worded well and short, but those are more, like, the, our last statewide and county, you know, election ballot had tons of them, long, I, I, I think I personally skipped some because I didn't understand, I didn't feel like I could capably, you know, should cast a vote, a bullet vote, if you will, so, um, that's what you mean by referendum, correct? Right, correct. The people who are registered, would you vote the choir mm-hmm. that they read? You know, instead of just filling, you know, read a a lot of more words and try to you know vote capably there, right? Exactly, and and to decide on the best way to to engage people who aren't voting, it just it just seems kind of not the right process in my in my opinion. Um, but you know, I'm 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 hopeful that you know these public hearings that the mayor and council will hold that they'll hear from a variety of, of viewpoints and maybe do some heart mind changing um you know anything can happen at the end of the day um so i i hope that some of these things do get changed but you know there's just so many barriers around referendum and you're right like some are super long I think the one around cannabis, recreational cannabis, yeah, was, was so straightforward. <laughs> was I, thought, I find some of them really confusing. <laughs> it's so funny. I thought the cannabis one was straightforward, but then, you know, having the entire state vote on, like, changing the name of a court in Howard County, you're like, oh, yeah. why am I? I mean, I get it. There's a process, and there's things that, you know, we have to do, but it's just, just whole, like, from an academic standpoint, asking people who already vote, <laughs> about ways to get more people to vote is just, I don't know. Does that like said, though, I mean, we, uh, for the, those of us who voted in county elections, the county did just do this, add mm-hmm. seats to the council, this yeah. process. So can be, you know, sky doesn't have to fall. Can, the lift can be made to write a concise question, get, you know, public input through the ballot, you know, and budgets amended. There's a couple new council members, and it's, it's a huge change, but... Yeah. You know, can be done. I think that's, you know, Rockwell's hopefully is right next door to, you know, that big generational change in the government, just, you know, in county government. Mm-hmm. Very similar in a way. The county mm-hmm. also has districts and at large. Yeah, about large districts. Yeah. But what you said earlier, Marissa, about the charter being old. Also, I used to work in Montgomery County and I work in another county. Um, yeah, that's what I saw, in, you know, when they, I started looking at the, char- you know, the county code. It's, it was from the 60s and yeah. just old. You know, so and I mean, there's there's things that are still relevant, right? But you know, I I thought it was kind of funny, like so the city, I'm on the city's charter review commission, and then during the course of, of our existence, the county holds their charter review commission. And we're like, oh, this is kind of cool. They were looking at two questions. We had a list, a very weighty list, more than two questions, and I was just looking at them. I was like wow, like that can happen. So, you know, there there were some practical things in there um, that weren't formal recommendations that I'm really hopeful will happen that are very um, non-controversial, like uh, putting into the charter that this needs to be reviewed and revised at a set number of years. Um, so, you know, so that the next charter review commission doesn't have what we had, which was 
a lot of issues and needed a lot of research in order to do it any justice. So what's your best advice for anybody who is watching this issue carefully for the month of February, because that's really what we're talking about, for the immediate, if there's going to be a referendum. But then, you know, not everything's going to be decided this coming month. Not everything will end up as a referendum. Mayor and council may take action. So what should we be, if you had one piece of advice for those of us watching this issue, what would that be? My biggest piece of advice is to let the mayor and council know how you feel on these issues. And you can do that by either emailing them at mayorcouncil at rockvillemd.gov. You can show up, I'll be there, on this Monday evening um, during the public hearing on the expansion of the council um, going from four to six uh, council members. There's then the next public hearing scheduled for February 4th. Um, and I would encourage people to go to that. But you know, it. Public speaking is not always fun. It's not fun for everyone. Um, it's still kind of tough for me sometimes, too. Um, I definitely have gotten used to it. So emailing is just as important um, because ultimately they need to hear um, what the community thinks. Yeah, and your emails, when we email Mayor and Council, it goes into the hearing record. It's part of the legal document, so it is effective. It is a great way to do it. Uh, and we'll post uh, the email address in the show notes. They can be short emails too. Like right. I feel like it can be like a long text. You're just like shooting out like you know for late night on your own time. I think yeah, I agree with the email. Yeah. In person, can you do phone testimony? Like you know, some commissions are seeing a lot of virtual testimony, and that right. helps people who don't have, you know just can't get over to city hall on a weeknight. They are, should they, be. are they still doing the hybrid? Because mm -hmm. they're still letting people speak at community forum, which is, you know, the, the beginning of all mayor and council meetings. It's like a, I don't know, not free for all. That sounds kind of like, <laughs> like people are like, though. it kind of is because it's about yeah. anything, you know, that you can talk about. Um, but to my understanding that the public hearings, you can also, um, not Zoom, they use WebEx. I always use Zoom for everything, right? Like all web conferencing. Um, there is that option so that if you don't feel comfortable, um, you know, coming to City Hall, you might feel more comfortable virtually. You can do that. Um, but yeah, like it doesn't even have to be like, you know, that long of an email. It doesn't even have to be that long a testimony either. Like you get three yeah. minutes um, unless something is announced and changed. Um, and so everybody gets three minutes equally. And, you know, that's what's so funny. People are like, I'm encouraging people to just come and speak. And they're like, so what do you think on this issue? And I was like, it doesn't really matter. I can tell you, like, my view. Um, but ultimately, you know, it doesn't matter if you're for or against. I just want people to, like, show up. I just want the current mayor and council to hear from people, you know. So here's our report. And then here's all these people telling you. Um, how they feel on these issues, and then you have a more theory, a fuller view of, of what people are thinking about these issues. Do you guys have any last minute, last questions for Marissa? Because I have one last one. Yeah, not on this issue, no. Not on this issue, you're good? Well, I'd like to know if you've eaten anywhere good lately. <laughs> any good restaurants? <laughs> any good, uh, where yeah. you That's a really good question. Um, I am going to give my hearty, hearty plug to Tomatillo um, in the Twinbrook Shopping Center. 
Not a lot of people, a lot of people sleep on it. Complete awesome hole in the wall. Um, but get this, and I'm gonna say this, having experienced Al Carbone pupusas. Oh yeah. Tomatillo's better. Oh Ooh. wow. Throw Ooh. down. There is it Twin Brook versus East Rockville. Guys. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, oh, yeah. Tomatillo is saying it is a Mexican grill. No, the pupusas are not Mexican. You know you know how to roll. It's like, pan think, Latin. Yeah, exactly. Like, right? And and honestly, it's, it's yeah, it, I know the the two ladies that I've met there are Honduran. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so you know, a Mexican girl or whatever. Um, but, yeah, they have the best pupusas. I will still always love the arepas at El Carbon because I can't get veggie Arepas in many places. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, woo, the Statement now is controversial in light of the Washington Post recent 2022 best places to eat in Montgomery County. What did it say? The best pupusa place in Rockville, according to them, is. Oh, the Amelia Garden. Yeah, it's right by my house. Which not only pupusa, but top 10, sorry, top 10. Eat. Eat. Yeah. 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 It's good. We should go. Have you tried it? Think about I, it. I would be down. You know I'm always down for You haven't tried it. I have not tried it. And it's funny because my husband really wants to try it, but like I'm such a purist. <laughs> like the like Yeah, the, they're they're like they're putting some interesting combinations together. Right. Yeah. And it did but the pure the, the traditional is there for you. Exactly. Like and I'm down. Like even like some Loroco, like I'm I'm definitely yeah. down. But yeah, like some of the other ones, like I love I love the Washington Post, but like, you know, sometimes you just want a grilled cheese and fries. Or sometimes you just want a pupusa. Clearly I'm vegetarian. I'm all about the cheese. But um yeah, I'm down for uh, an outing and we should totally have like some sort of like competition. We should have a pupusa yeah. off. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah, podcast sponsored by Pupusas of Rockville. We are created so- an association. Oh, yes. oh my well, A pupusa festival. Why does this city not have a pupusa? Do we not have a pupusa? Put it in town center, yeah, with uh, some music. All right, we've just invented something. We have just, we have just uh, invented our next side hustle. We do some voter registration. Right, voter registration. I think that would be amazing because we have a lot of like, like, and I'm sure they're in other places too. We have an interesting like rotating like crew of like three food trucks right now. Um, at the Twinburg Shopping Centers, and they're good oh, too. They're good. Like you might have some like you know out of nowhere underdogs come through, like throw down. Um, but not a lot of pupusas, and definitely not tomatillo style. Like oh, they're so good. And I'm sure as this process moves forward, we'll have you back to check in. Definitely. We appreciate you being here, and we especially appreciate you being willing to be our first interview. Hopefully, we don't have to move after this. <laughs> Hopefully not. This was fun. Thank you for having me. Oh, of course. Our pleasure. And coming soon, we have uh, we have actually gotten Matt Perkins to agree to come talk to us. Matt is a local criminologist and an all-around wonderful guy. Mm-hmm. And he is going to talk about, we're going to talk to him about the local implications of the legalization of recreational marijuana. We also have Mayor Newton. We love her about what, and we're going to talk to her about what Rockville gets right. We're really looking forward to both of those interviews very, very soon. Stay safe, stay kind, and have a great week.